It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 167. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. And we're back after a slightly both expected and unexpected delay. I think it's been, what, three weeks since we did this? Yeah, and we're back, and it's going to be a little while before our next one because well, we're both doing, it's summer, we're both doing some traveling. There's it's hard stuff. to schedule everything in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, summer schedule. Yes, <laughs> sporadic. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I've, so how's the weather in Denver? Hot. I was afraid you were going to say that. It's actually warm here too. Now for us, I mean, we hit 80. I just checked the the uh, our little weather station here. So right now for us, that's hot, mostly because it's been cold and rainy for all mm. of 2022 so far. But um, what is hot for you? Like hundred degree high, really? Yeah. Oh, we've man. had a bunch of those, and a bunch close to that. And uh, yep. Oh man, now I don't uh. feel so bad. I mean, I feel <laughs> bad for you, but I'll 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 tough out my eighty. <laughs> yeah, I'll suck it up. Oh, that's crazy. All right. Well, we've got a number of of not huge things, but some yeah. interesting things to talk about. I think uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you, Gary, is have you installed your period tracker yet? Uh, no, and it's a good thing I haven't. Oh wow! Because, okay, good, good. Yes. <laughs> it's funny. I we had a friend over for dinner last night, and um, he had one of his coworkers uh, instruct him, a female mm-hmm. coworker, instruct him on the nuances of installing the period tracker and getting it configured. And and his comment was, "I had no idea things were this complicated." And all the women at the table said, "Welcome to our world." I mean, it's it was really pretty funny. Um, yeah. For those that aren't aware, so the the concept here is that with um, abortion rights being uh, slowly eroded in various mm-hmm. places in the country, what the concern is that period tracking apps can be used to uh, determine which women may potentially have been, um, they may have gone and gotten abortions illegally. You know, they they miss a period, then they suddenly have a period or whatever. I'm not sure of the math that works, but the concept here is that it's collecting a fair amount of data about women's health. And that data potentially could be used in conjunction with other things to perhaps uh, uh, pers- or pro- persecute and prosecute uh, women who have gone through this, this exercise. So the idea then is that let's get a bunch of men to install period tracker apps and just mess up the data. Uh, just you know, do random stuff so that the aggregate data becomes less useful. I have um, I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical that that actually uh, would have an impact, but it is kind of funny to just sort of listen to uh, folks uh, talk about their period tracker apps when, of course, they they don't. So we get to choose apparently when we're going to have our period and when we're going to skip and when we're going to you know not not you know get pregnant and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you had an interesting reaction. You're glad you didn't. No, what? no. I, well, I didn't know what the story was about. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Well, yeah. now you know. Um, like I said, I'm I'm somewhat skeptical that in reality. Um, even if enough men, uh, yeah. you know, installed it and started entering bogus data, if that would even really have an impact. Yeah, I mean, what, I, you know, I was, I was going with the idea that you know, you know, women are uninstalling them, and you know, so that kind of thing. So you know, for right. privacy concerns, there's actually it was a related story, and I can't find the link to it, but I definitely saw it. I think it was this morning about a 
uh, some reporting system for uh, transgender students in some state, probably one of the usual suspects, uh, where they had to basically uh, identify themselves, report them so that for for bathroom use, something to do with bathroom use and identify that they were transgender. So the reaction from the students was basically all the students reported themselves as being transgender, the whole school. (laughs) Yep. Yep. <laughs> As basically supporting their fellow students uh and saying what uh, BS the uh the rule right. was. Right, right. Very interesting. It's in the larger issue, and the reason I bring this up on, on this podcast is not so much about um abortion or period tracking or attempts to skew data, although, like I said, I, I'm skeptical that that kind of an approach will work. Um, I'm actually not even sure that um you know women uninstalling it uh will make a huge difference or not, even for the individuals that do. But I find it fascinating that technology is touching everything. Yeah. Um, prior to this, uh, I had no clue that these kind of apps even existed. And now all of a sudden there's this, you know, fairly major uh, decision by a court and all of a sudden we're finding out that hey there's all these ramifications in all of these corners of the world including the phone in your pocket it's just very bizarre how far technology and it's great i mean i love using technology to solve problems it makes total sense to me that tracking that using an app could be an interesting thing it could be a useful thing um, but it's just not one of those things you think about at the time that they're debating uh, whether or not a law should be one way or another. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen a few uh, articles of people commenting on, you know, what are the differences from now to when Roe versus Wade was first enacted? I mean, even things like the idea that a state could track you going to another state. Yes. Uh, you know, is, you know, before Roe versus Wade, that wasn't an issue. And now it, it, I mean, yeah, I suppose at some time there was a time you could go to an airport with cash and buy a ticket for an airplane that was actually, you know, physical ticket and get on and nobody would, you know, question you or know whatever. And now it's certainly trying to fly on a plane is impossible to do uh, without identification and being in government systems as having traveled on a plane. Um, There's. Yeah, there's apps of you know, your phone's tracking you. Um, I was going to say the big thing phone is that calls you're, from you're carrying a, you're carrying a tracker yeah. with you at all times. I mean, there's uh, social media. Uh, it also, to, you know, uh, you know, if you're going to travel to another state, then you could do so quite privately. Whereas someone today, you'd have to think about all the things that you couldn't do. You know, couldn't right. use your phone, couldn't post social media. You know, all these things that we take for granted um, now just weren't around in 1973. Um, to be, you know, even be issues. So there's a, yeah. And even doctor's records and medical records, um, we've been, uh, you know, getting used to over the last decade or so, you know, the privacy, medical privacy stuff, you know, mm-hmm. HIPAA or whatever. And then how does that work with a lot of these, you know, you know, everybody's so concerned. Yeah. Anybody that's been to the doctor knows that sometimes you have to go through these hoop, hoops for ridiculous things for privacy. Right. It's like, you're going to see the doctor and you have to like sign, like, here's our privacy statement and all of that. And, and then if you want to get an email from your doctor saying, oh, your test came back fine. You know, the email is usually a, you have a message, you have to log into the system right? or, you know, you have to call, or if your spouse gets the phone call, they can't tell your spouse because you didn't check the right box and privacy rules say they can't do that. 
So you know you're used to this being a problem where private inf- medical information can't be shared, except that now, of course, uh, some people are saying, "Oh, wait, this is getting in the way of our crusade against, you know, whatever." So yeah, so uh, it's it's weird. Uh, the it's things definitely have changed. a different world. Yeah, it's it's a different world, but it's like you know because of an overturning of a Supreme Court ruling from 50 years ago. You know, it actually, it's literally just taking that rule that's been in effect for 50 years and gets rid of it. Mm -hmm. So suddenly everybody has to look back to like, whoa, wait a minute. We have to look back to 1973, I think it was. And, and what would, you know, how were things done then? But then things are going to be done different now because we have the internet, mobile phones, data tracking, uh, privacy laws, uh, all sorts of stuff. It's uh, going to take forever to sort out. Exactly. Maybe never. Maybe we'll never. It'll never get sorted out. It'll just be an evolving situation. It, we passed a. Uh, there was a law or an executive order here in my state, in Colorado, uh, forbidding uh, Colorado law enforcement from sharing certain kinds of information with other states' law enforcement. Right. Right. So, We've got something similar in Washington yeah, as well. Yeah. So you know, and this is all preventative. I don't. I don't think at this point anybody has opened an invest, you know, a state like Texas or Florida or Louisiana hasn't opened an investigation with another state to try to track somebody. But it's, you know, in preparation for that happening, the states can just say, nope. And the part that scares me about that, I mean, I, I you know, obviously I, I'm glad that the, the you know states like Washington, Colorado are doing something like that. But the real question to me is, yes, it's preventative. But will it ultimately stand up? Yeah. Um, in other words, uh, is it supposedly the Supreme Court decision was about states' rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know the the the, uh, the federal government overstepped, or the Supreme Court itself overstepped fifty years ago by basically defining something that should have been left up to each individual state. And yet they also have a track record of doing exactly the opposite. <laughs> if the issue you know is one where they really do feel like the states are doing the wrong thing, or they need to very control, or whatever you want to call it, my concern then is that you know at some point there'll be a test case. And the test case will, you know, make its way up uh, the court system and land probably back at the Supreme Court, mm. which you know, there's there's no guarantee that they'll go the same route, right? They're, they'll It's very possible that they'll say, well, you know, when it comes to actually committing a crime, no, you do kind of have to share information across state borders or something like that. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't know. Um, so I think that there's there's a, still a tremendous amount of uncertainty uh, for all of the individuals involved. And uh, well, it is kind of scary. Get that. Yeah. Well, that, was, uh, that was the mm-hmm. most political thing that we've ever talked about. Let's get to the least political thing we could possibly talk about. Space, the yes. final frontier. <laughs> um, so on the day we're recording this, uh, it was this morning, I think, that they released the the everything mm-hmm. after the first picture, right? Three or four more pictures. Yeah, there's a bunch of pictures, yeah. Yeah, there was one that, that was released yesterday. We're talking about, of course, the, the pictures from the James Webb Telescope, the, the first yeah. set of full-color photographs that have been um, released and made public from this thing. And yeah, they're awesome. Uh, I was looking at the one that was released yesterday and, uh, you know, you look at it on the website. Yeah. Okay. That looks kind of interesting. Um, but then you realize that, you know, that is already just a reduced version of the picture. It's already been resized down. The actual picture is something like 4,000 by 4,000 pixels and, uh, which, you know, I, very few people have screens that will do 
that at full resolution. Mm. Uh, so what I ended up doing was downloading uh, the high res version of it and then just looking at it 100%. You know, the universe is full. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. And we're talking about things, we're looking at things that are supposedly, you know, something like, what is it, 12 billion years ago or something mm, like that? 13, I think. Yeah. Um, so you know, supposedly close to the the dawn of the universe or our universe. And um, it's just amazing how much is in that picture. And it didn't even dawn on me. It's just, I mean, it's it's almost inconceivable. Because they've described that picture as uh, being a picture of a piece of the sky that is the equivalent of holding a grain of sand at arm's length. So it's this really, really tiny piece of the sky. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of things out there, galaxies out there, each of them, of course, having more solar systems, more planets, more whatevers. Um, it's just, just amazing to me. Yeah, that at, at photo, and then to see how you know the light is being bent, yes, all throughout that photo, and you can kind of like you look closely at it, but then you pull away, and you can kind of make out the optics of the, lens, the lensing effect, yeah. the lensing effect, and what's going on, and then of course you're seeing some things. Some of those galaxies are, I guess, there twice, or even more times because they're being bent around in different ways, right? Um, right. And it's but then. Yeah, it's just it's it's amazing to think. I'm sure there are places. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's the wrong terminology. I'm not sure at all. But I I suspect there are places that if we point it at, that we don't see quite as much density. And Possibly. maybe there are places where we see more. I don't, Way more. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. But you know, this this telescope is going to change things. I think just as much as the Hubble originally did. Right. And uh, and and. I don't think we're anywhere near the limits of what we can potentially do in the future space telescopes at some point. Um, but I, I'm sure there's a lot of astronomers and physicists that are going to be doing a lot of research based on what this telescope can do. And uh, it's going to be amazing. The, so um, It's funny. I went to the website um, and there'll be a link, of course, in the show notes to the actual NASA website where these, uh, uh, where the telescope is discussed and all these pictures are hosted and so forth. But uh, for some reason, this morning at release time, it was kind of slow. <laughs> it was kind of kind of pokey because I wasn't alone. There's actually a lot of a lot of excitement around this uh, this release, uh, at least in some communities. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, honestly, you know, given the whole lead up the ramp up to the release of the photos today all the way from um, its construction to its launch to its placement in in at the lagrange point um it's there's so many things that could have gone wrong uh, mm. that didn't right there's yeah. it's it's a it's a miracle of human engineering that the thing is there and working at all uh which i just find also uh regardless of what we're seeing in the pictures uh, the the achievement of getting this thing out there and having it work is pretty darn amazing. Yep. Yep. And it's great that it's working. Great that it's giving us these images. And this is just the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so a quickie. <laughs> we were talking about, of course, you know, how, how tech touches everything. And of course, the problem is that tech touches everything. Apparently a couple of days ago or uh, over the weekend, I'm not even sure now, uh, there was a large internet outage 
in Canada. Uh, I've all of a sudden on my social media, I was starting to see lots of complaints about Rogers, which is one of the big, big ISPs up in Canada, uh, mobile specifically, you know, they do a lot of the, they're one of the big mobile providers out there among uh-huh. other things. And, um, all of a sudden it was like, you know, people were complaining about Rogers. They were, you know, saying this, that, and the other thing, but I never got the full picture that in fact, there was this massive, massive outage and they, um, uh, finally mentioned or Rogers admitted to the fact that, yep, it was caused by a maintenance update. Somebody, you know, pushed a, an update to a router that cascaded to other routers that basically brought their piece of the internet down. Uh, it took them, you know, hours to get it fixed. And, and of course, there was lots of uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth as that was going on. Mm. But once again, much like what I was just saying about the telescope, this is a case where there are so many things that can go wrong. Uh, you know, at least with a with an internet outage, it's not that hard for someone to make a mistake and take down large portions of the internet. Fortunately, it's all here on the planet, and it's not that difficult to then finally figure out what went wrong and go back in and fix it. Hmm. But um, uh, you know, it still has a fairly dramatic impact. Uh, the telescope. If something had gone wrong, depending on the kinds of things they have uh, they have going on it, uh, you know, sure, software can get updated. In a lot of cases, they can compensate for a lot of what's going on. I know that I think one of the mirrors on the telescope actually has a small flaw that they're compensating for in software. But, um, you know, if there's a hardware failure up there, it's not like they can go and fix it. So um, it just, again... The internet is one of those things that every once in a while, as I'm dealing with it, as I'm responding to people's problems, as I'm reading stories like this Rogers outage, uh, some days it's just amazing that the thing works at all uh, because it is so incredibly complex. And in many ways, even though it's designed not to be, uh, there are aspects of it that feel incredibly fragile at the same time. Yep. It's uh yeah I mean even in our homes I it, oh uh, actually my daughter dealt with an internet outage and unfortunately I wasn't there to try to um to do any kind of troubleshooting I just right. had to be like the dad and say you have to call the company and you know oh dear. talk to talk to them and stuff and they had to have somebody come out and then there's the whole thing where it's like they tell you uh if it's your fault and we send somebody out we're going to charge you yes and if it's not, if it's our fault, then it's, you know, of course, obviously it's free, uh, part of our service. So there's that thing. It's like, oh, you know, if I was there, if I took the hour drive, <laughs> maybe I'd notice that the light wasn't blinking or, right. you know, something, there was a connection, you know, but it was just like, well, just going to have to just try it. And it turned out to be who knows what, but it was not, uh, the box was bad. They had to swap the box out. So okay. the okay. router. So, yeah, but it was that kind of thing. And I've had that before myself. Where I've been sure, certain that it's not my like I've tried everything, right? Right. You spend right. an hour or two. And then you're like, no, I've not, I've ruled out everything. Time to call and get uh somebody to come out, take a look at the line or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've always been right, but there's always that moment, even for people like us, <laughs> there's always that moment of doubt, right? It's like, you know, oh, is this gonna cost me? Cause they're gonna come in and say, Oh, you didn't have this, you know, whatever. This little but switch over here, it should have been set the, the other switch. Way. You had it yeah. misconfigured or something, <laughs> you know, but you have to, at some point give up. And then of course you feel like an idiot. Cause you know, that, that 
other people, people that are not so tech savvy would have just called right away and you wasted like an afternoon right. <laughs> troubleshooting something <laughs> that you had no control over. So it's not always good to be super tech savvy. Sometimes True. it could waste your afternoon. True. Uh, yeah, it happens. Uh, yeah, it's funny because I've, you know, I've been through probably like you over the years, I've been through multiple iterations of just my home network, right? It, it, originally, oh, yeah. it was a computer in a room, then it was a computer wired to my DSL, then it was, um, you know, I finally got a router and was sharing it with a couple of machines. Now, um, you know, I've got this big old mesh network. I've got something like 45 different devices connected to the internet. Um, and yeah, uh, it honestly, what I've got right now has probably been one of my more solid solutions over the years, but it still feels really fragile. Like if this thing, this, this particular thing over in the corner or whatever, if it's not working, um, yeah, there's some stuff I can do with it. But after that, there's a whole lot of head scratching and, and, you know, try the usual things. Um, always wow. beginning with, did you unplug it and plug it back plug in? Plug it back in, yeah. <laughs> um, so, speaking yeah. of plugging it back in. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, we've talked, when you, if you did a word cloud of our podcast over the last years, many years, um, and you know, the one of the bigger words would probably be Elon Musk. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, we touch on him in various guises, be it SpaceX and stuff. And recently with Twitter and stuff, um, I have to admit, I have to admit something now that while I used to be, I would say, an Elon Musk fan of sorts, mm-hmm. um, having read uh, one biography of him and you know, SpaceX, great, you know, Tesla, good. And mm-hmm. other things. It's interesting. Uh, recently, it has been really hard to be a fan, and I've had to actually turn around and now kind of put them on my uh, my list <laughs> of people that I don't like very much. Yeah, I got uh, I got to agree. I'm in exactly the same boat. Um, I, I mean, really he am. is. First, you have a lot of stuff about him came out of the the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, in which he was called to the stand and, and all. A lot of stuff that makes it hard to like him, (laughs) certainly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Politically, he's been doing a lot of very odd things. I mean, I I, I guessed a a lot of people probably also, too, that early on with his environmental stance and the reasons he created Tesla and all that, that it seemed pretty progressive and -hmm. and all that. But Mm -hmm. uh, it, it turns out maybe he was, but it doesn't seem like that anymore on his politics. Um, and then of course, Twitter. Man, it's hard because even when he was like, uh, Twitter's Twitter's in trouble, I'm going to buy it. You know, some of the reasoning for that didn't sit well with me. You know, the mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's like, I just wanted to be this free speech zone. Right. Where anybody could say anything they want without consequences kind of deal. Plus the fact that, uh, well, I'll talk about this in a minute, but I, I think he was misunderstanding. I think he misunderstands Twitter in a lot of right. ways. I agree. But now he's backing out of the Twitter deal, right? Yeah. So, and there's a lot of accusations. There have been since the beginning of his involvement, which it started with him just buying a bunch of Twitter, right? He bought a huge chunk of Twitter mm-hmm. before he said he was going to buy it, uh, the whole thing, you know? Um, and there are a lot of accusations started flying around saying that, oh, he's trying to manipulate the stock price. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, at first I always say, oh, you could say that of any, anybody that's in the news that's involved in any way um, with different stocks and 
tech and all, you can, you know, claim, oh, they're trying to manipulate the stock price. But boy, now it really seems like, like, I don't know to what end, but he's just playing so many games with it, with, you know, will he buy it? Won't he buy it? You know, one day he's wants to do it. Next day he doesn't. Now he's dropped it completely and he's probably going to be sued uh, for trying to manipulate the stock price. In, in fact, just before we started recording, I got a news alert from the New York Times that indeed Twitter has filed suit. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. Um, I don't know exactly like it, if he's trying to buy it at a lower price or somebody is shorting it. I don't know what's going on with those technical details of it, but he certainly has been playing games with it and with no advantage, right? Twitter hasn't gotten any better on at anything because of all this, right? right. It's, it's been a distraction. Um, so now that he, hopefully he's completely out of it forever, not going to, at least for owning it, although he owns that 10% or whatever that is. Yeah, I think he's still it. the biggest stockholder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like what happens to Twitter is what I'm interested in. Well, first there's the whole thing just to finish the thought on Elon Musk. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm no longer a fan of him. I want us to go to Mars. I like the idea of private enterprise doing a lot of the work mm -hmm. to get us to Mars mm -hmm. and you know, all the SpaceX stuff, SpaceX stuff is super neat and great. And, you know, we're, we're delivering Americans to the space station from American soil. Thanks to SpaceX. Mm -hmm. But man, I'm going to have to just divide and that. It's off weird from because Elon Musk, the person, you know, for me, there's even more, right? I mean, I, I drive a Tesla. I yeah. love the car. I love the concept. I said early on that even if Tesla itself failed completely, it will have changed the um, the industry. And in fact, that's exactly what's happening. More and more manufacturers are making electric cars and it's great. It's yeah. wonderful. Um, I've heard now from two people who uh, are using uh, Starlink, right? The, the yes. internet service provided by, you know, that he is behind. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine uh, is camping out in the middle of nowhere um, and able to do video editing for me <laughs> while, while they're literally off the grid. I mean, there is no power there, no nothing. They've got a solar powered battery pack and Starlink. And it's just amazing. And I just think of the, 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 the technological leaps between SpaceX and Starlink and Tesla, and I'm probably missing a few other things, even um, this, the uh, solar panels for homes and the power walls and the power um, infrastructure that he's been able to help out with in various countries. I mean, these are all wonderful things. But, but he turned into <laughs> such a jerk. I, mean. I, uh, I know it's hard. It's like a, it's a dilemma. It's like, what, you know, how do you keep cheering for him to accomplish these things while separating, you know, his, what he's doing in his personal life? I'm, I'm no longer cheering for him. I'm cheering for the things. I guess. Yeah. I guess. And, and the thing is, I know from, from reading a lot of history, especially a lot of recent history, mm -hmm. it doesn't always work out to say, well, it'd be great if he just stepped down and let somebody else take over. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I that, don't, yeah. I don't know if, it, if it would work, like if he stepped away from one of these things, like if he stepped away from SpaceX, I mean, I'll have all these great hopes for SpaceX. And I just yeah. don't know if those would have, like, I'd love for somebody else to come on the scene, you know, for us start to hear, you know, hear about somebody else at SpaceX that had, you know, has the vision and drive to maybe take over, but I don't know of any, you know, I haven't heard about anybody right. like that. So there's a pretty you, strong argument that um, these kind of leaps yeah. require 
um, uh, a bit of, you know, my term for, for Musk lately has been a chaos monkey. He's just doing, it almost seems like he's doing things randomly. He's causing chaos. Uh, and that's not business as usual. And unfortunately, when you end up replacing uh, a founder like him on some of these projects, um, and I understand he's not necessarily the founder for all of them. He came in, you know, to some of them uh, work already in progress, yeah. but um, you know, he's been the driving force behind a lot of these. Yeah, and when you take force. that chaos out of whatever it is that's going on and replace it with someone who is more traditionally business minded, someone more, I'll go ahead and say it sane, then it stops making these you know, these wild bets and massive leaps and, and are truly out of so far out of the box thinking that he's been able to bring to the table. So it's tough now onto Twitter. Yes. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I, I was, I'm a little excited because, you know, I like parts of Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, I think Twitter is a very interesting social media company because it has some aspects that none of the others really have unless they're actually trying to imitate Twitter. Um, and I was explaining this to a group of like non-techie friends, uh, you know, on, on sites like Facebook and Instagram and stuff, you're, you're supposed to be, you're a person, you've got your account and you post stuff as you. And, or maybe you're a company and you have your account and you post stuff as the company. Twitter's got this strange thing where there are a lot of Twitter accounts that aren't either a person or a company. You could call them bots, but bots, not bad bots, but good bots, right? There's two types. You know, bad bots would be trying to do nefarious things and advertising and all of that, manipulation and all. But good bots could be things like, you know, NASA's got a whole bunch of them, you know, things that represent a personification of a space probe or something. Uh, you've got bots that programmers create to do cool things. You message them some an input and they send you back an output. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got bots that will like recreate periods of history day for day, day by day. You know, you've got bots that will send you pieces of content on a regular basis. Lots of, you know, cool things you could do with Twitter that's very geeky. And I would love it if, you know, well, first, I want to say it scared me that if Elon Musk took over, he was obsessed with like everybody being verified on Twitter and getting rid of the bots. And I think the um, the victims, the unintended victims would have been all these cool, geeky bots mm-hmm. yes. that are really neat. They would have all been thrown away in order to just have like verified people and verified companies on Twitter. And that's it. Um, I would love to see maybe Twitter evolve in the opposite direction where, you know, let's the geeks kind of take over the people that make kind of interesting things, uh, you know, maybe be the future of Twitter and it'd be more, the more geeky type of social media service than say, you know, serious, you know, stuff that, you know, deals with politics and all that. I don't know. It's probably going to be some combination of it, but the, the part that concerned me most of what he claimed to be planning. And obviously at this point, um, it's really difficult to take any of his statements about his plans seriously, because who knows what he was really thinking um, or who knows how long he holds a thought uh, to be honest. (laughs) But um, one of his claims was that he was going to essentially dramatically reduce content moderation or content filtering or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that worried me probably more than anything else, mostly because um, when you don't have moderation, these kinds of things turn into a cesspool and people get hurt. And 
there's got to be something. There's got to be rules. There's got to be filters. Yes. There's got to be something um, that that you know basically puts limits on the way that people would otherwise abuse this system and use it um, for everything from promoting. Uh, uh, false news, scams, using it to target people and abuse people. And, you know, it's just that kind of stuff, That those kinds of controls need to be there. And it really feels like um, that was one of the things that he was trying uh, or potentially going to get rid of. And a lot of it is like, you know, <laughs> Twitter at some point removed some of his tweets. Is this yeah. all of him just being like really petty and vengeful. Um, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. What's Maybe. funny, so while you were talking, I went over to Twitter because I didn't have it up just yet. The top tweet, the most recent tweet, when I looked at Twitter, mm -hmm. was Elon Musk saying, oh, the irony, LOL. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I just mm -hmm. thought it was ironic that his his literally most recent tweet while we were talking um was was that he's listening he is no. he must be yeah yeah even i mean we, we're not live but well you know, know. He, he could be hooked in are we uh, neither of us are over <laughs> starlink right because if one of us was over starlink <laughs> then you know just saying yeah um yeah i don't know i just i hope i hope twitter can find you know, find its right path right. Um, to right. figure right. out, like, you know, the revenue, a revenue model and a moderation model that works and keeps it as basically what it is now. Just having, you, you know, short, it's basically micro blogging, right? That's, yes. that's what it is now. And keep it like that. Cause I, I, I think that's really useful. I think people that use it, use it that way. Um, it's really useful. I think I would enjoy use if it, if it didn't have some of the problems it's, it has. And I, I'm kind of on the fence whether I would do this or not. I might actually do that where, you know, I would prefer to actually blog, but in 280 character, you know, pieces. What's interesting you know? is that they just are, they are now rolling out some kind of a. Oh, yeah. I forget what they call it, but it's the moral equivalent of Facebook notes or something like that. Well, oh, yeah, no, you can that's have not what I was thinking. Okay, you can you can have you can have longer tweets. You can have have you know paragraphs and which and to be fair, you could always have like tweeted a link to you know with a teaser. You know, there's a lot of different things you could do, but um, they don't want the you to leave the platform. <laughs> well, yeah, but you could always tweet an image that has text in it. One of the uh, things I heard is this kind of unsubscribe, not unsubscribe, un uh, unmention. I think feature which is really interesting so and i think the the media has misinterpreted this this was just yesterday i think uh the feature is somebody mentions you in a post so they do you know at you know your name or whatever and uh, it's about whatever and you don't want to be involved right and you don't want to get these mentions right because now you're looking at your mentions and you're seeing this person there mm -hmm. so you could go in and say oh no unmention me i think is what it's called and it not only uh, you're not going to then see this thread as people reply to it and all, but it'll pull your name out of that tweet. Interesting. Your tag. Now, what they were, every news article I read about this talked about it as a way to avoid getting like a lot of clutter in your, you know, Twitter feed, right? right? With people mentioning you, uh, avoid having 
to maybe be associated with, you know, something. I instantly saw the the issue here. I had, I've had people, you know, mention me when pointing, uh, when putting uh, forward a point of view, you know, usually it's tech oriented, maybe, you know, there's apples can be political, but they'll mention something and then they'll put my, you know, cause they want me to hear about it or they want me to respond. Mm-hmm. And I'm not inter- interested in getting involved, but <laughs> now I know people searching for this topic are maybe going to be seeing my Twitter handle. Right. Right. And maybe they'll be mixing it up with like, Oh, this guy's involved with this thread here. Right. Um, and, and then this happened too, was that, um, somebody who used a Twitter name that was political, politically charged Twitter name, mm-hmm. um, asked me a question, right. By mentioning me. Well, now, uh, if I respond, it was just a technical question. Yeah. How do you do this on a Mac? And if I respond to this person, I'm responding to that politically charged Twitter handle, right? Which the thing is. Lots of other people are seeing what I'm saying on Twitter. Right, they're following me because they're interested in Mac stuff. Oh, he gives tips out on you know, Twitter for Mac users, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's a tip. He's telling so and so, and the so and so is a political statement. Right, right, and so I don't want to respond. It's like, oh, I'm not going to respond to your question because now I'm just broadcasting your name to right. my followers. Not only that, but if somebody wanted to, they could say, let me look for all the mentions of Gary right, and see what conversations are going on. And now, because you mentioned me, people that follow me and want to see my mentions are getting broadcasted your message, right? So the idea of saying, oh, I don't want to be involved with this. Take my name off of there. That's really powerful to me. Yeah. I so I don't have to get dragged in unintentionally into some something I don't want to be involved with and then stuck there permanently through all time my Twitter handles now involved. It's interesting because it also in some ways undermines I don't know I guess you'd call it the integrity of the of the Twitter conversation because um I don't want to say that it makes the original poster it changes what the original poster said without their permission. That, well, only that, only in a very limited, specific. I way. I understand. Though. I understand, but it's still not it, the the tweet that remains is not the tweet they made, and that kind of bugs me. Now, I I'm wonder, hoping when we've talked yeah. about having edit ability for tweets, which of course is something yeah. that everybody wants, um, as long the, the way to at least um, uh, soften the blow, if you will, for that thing is, is to have an audit trail. Right. To say, you know what? Here's the tweet. Oh, by the way, it has been edited or it has been modified. And if you want to, you can see the original, but that's all you can see, right? All this other conversation flow, that's all long gone. But the originator of this particular piece, um, you know, you can still go back and say, yeah, you know, originally he did at Mac most, but that got removed for some reason. And, you know, that's fine. I think the way around that is, you know, just, Thinking of, say, using an example of Elon Musk is right now you may say something and then put at Elon Musk in there instead of using his name. And the idea being that, hey, I'm pointing a finger at this person for good or bad or whatever, and I'm also now going to be part of their mentions. 
Um, but you can actually just not do that and say Elon Musk, right? right. Instead of at right. Elon Musk. And then that wouldn't be affected. And maybe the idea is you do both in the future. So you say, oh, I disagree with what Elon Musk at Elon Musk says. And oh, then right. knowing that the at part would just be removed. Or maybe this feature hasn't rolled out yet. So maybe the at Elon Musk changes to be some other form, like instead of at, or maybe it's a grayed out at Elon Musk that doesn't work as a link, that doesn't show up in a search. Yeah. You, you know, that's yeah. kind of a hidden or just thing. redacted. <laughs> yeah, kind of a redacted Elon Elon Musk. So it's still there if you read the tweet, but you won't be able to search for it. You can't click on it. You know, it's right. not. Yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of good ways they could go. I mean, but this is all, you know, this is my point here. This is all really geeky stuff. Like what can you do technically, right? To redact a mention, right. you know, a lot of cool different ways to do it. And my hope is that the future Twitter is run more by the geeky type people like us that can say, oh, what are the possibilities of how this feature can work rather than somebody at the top or board of directors saying, Oh, this is this is how we should do it. Or a lawyer say this is how we should do it. I was going to say most most of the lawyer types and even the the corporate types are going to yeah. say not what can we do, but how do we cover our butt? How do we cover it? Or how do we? What's this? You know, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe Twitter can be, you know, go back to the, its, its roots as a geeky kind of thing. Right. Um, I almost wish it could be. You know, <laughs> think of like the alt. What are the uh, um, the early internet communities uh, Usenet. IRC and, stuff and like Usenet that. and that kind yeah, of stuff. I yeah, I mean, that stuff, you know, the cool thing about the reason this stuff never happened there was all geeks. <laughs> it was all of us, <laughs> right? It was only after this stuff got out into the big, you know, world where non geeks could actually go and try to abuse it that. <laughs> I'm not trouble. sure. I, I'm not sure. I want Twitter to go back backwards like that because I think there's a tremendous amount of value in um, the number of uh, non geek players on Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's a tremendous amount of information these days. It's often where I get my news first. It's where I get breaking stuff first. It's where I get yeah. um, a lot of opinions about things going on first. Um, it's not something that I necessarily would want to roll back to be just primarily geeks. I do think that um, uh, the decision-making process or the uh, the architecting process is probably better handled with pe by people who have a better handle on technology in general than the corporate types and the lawyer types. And apparently even Elon Musk, um, you know, his, his claim to fame is, is, is that he's a geek, but every once in a while, he just makes some really weird decisions or statements that really call it into question. Um, so yeah, I, there's there's a lot of potential here, and I'm with you. I don't want to see that potential go down the drain. I was listening to a uh, a podcast, Wall Street Journal podcast, yesterday uh, about mm -hmm. the fact that he had pulled out, and you know, were they going to sue him? You know, all that kind of stuff. Which apparently now is the answer is yes. But Twitter itself, as a company, has been put through hell. Um, morale is horrid. They've lost a third of their employees. They're laying off a bunch more. They're afraid to do anything because they don't know what the company will be in another six or 12 or 24 months. Um, they're in a really, really hard spot as a company. And that might be uh, you know, the, the saddest thing of all of, you know, you can, you can get upset at, at Elon and what he's been doing and, you know, the, the money that's been lost and the jobs that's been lost. But the fact is it's Twitter's in a position where they can't really make safe decisions right now. And I think the right. sooner that gets cleared up, the better. Yeah. 
Yeah, somebody has to step forward and be a leader, I guess. And we'll see. And I think we'll we see. can agree that probably shouldn't be Elon. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of things that are cool. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is cool. Elon's not cool. Twitter is cool. Um, so I did want to mention that uh, we finished the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds last week and Stranger Things, the uh, most recent series or uh, um, season of Stranger Things. Loved them both. Uh, really, really enjoyed Star Trek. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And I think I mentioned before, if of all the Star Trek iterations that have come since the original series, this one has a very original series kind of vibe to it. And it was just a lot of fun. Uh, well, I've been reading a couple of interesting things that I wanted to mention. Uh, no Time to Spare by Ursula K. Le Guin. This is not um, a fantasy or sci-fi novel. It's actually a collection of her blog posts. Oh. Um, as it turns out, uh, 10 years ago, she was doing something along the lines of what I've been doing with my own personal blog, um, just sort of writing about topics and talking about topics. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. She ended up talking about a couple of really interesting topics that speak to me. So No Time to Spare is a collection of some of her blog posts, but I believe they are all still available on her blog, even though she has passed on. The other thing that I'm reading is The Parable of the Sower, which is a uh, sci-fi uh, future dystopia type thing from Octavia Butler. Uh, where future dystopia is like two years from now, three years from now. And the world that she's describing, uh, it feels a little extreme, but because of where we've come since even the book was written, the book I think was written in, in 2012, um, a lot has happened here since 2012. Mm. And the world that she's describing doesn't seem nearly as far-fetched as perhaps it did 10 years ago. Uh -huh. Anyway, I'm finding it also very interesting and a very, uh, a very interesting read. Interesting. I just finished an interesting read, not a new book though, <laughs> a really old one. Um, I read the, the sirens of Titan by Kurt Vonnegut. I've read lots of Vonnegut in the past, but I hadn't read this one. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's one of those things um, where, you know, you, you read it and it, it, some of it seems a little quaint and old fashioned science, science fiction wise and other stuff seems pretty spot on. And then you notice it was written in 1959 and you're kind of blown away mm -hmm. by some of the stuff that you're reading and saying 1959. And there's some, um, you know, cool kind of uh, bits in it. It's also it's a humor book. Uh, so, you know, reminds reminds me a lot of Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is weird to say it reminds you of that since, of course, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was written way later right, right. than that. <laughs> it, it also uh, it also reminded me a lot of Wes Anderson films for some reason. Really? Like the use of, na of, of narrator to get over the fact that things in the story are ridiculous um, is, is really good. Wes Anderson does that in the films. And I think you could probably the only filmmaker that could possibly make a film of this book would actually be Wes Anderson and get away with it with, you know, just covering over ridiculous situations, having a narrator uh, uh, talk about them. Um, I do want, there's an excerpt from it, right? Uh, Kurt Vonnegut has this really cool way that uh, he puts short stories inside of his books. He has asides 
they're actually short stories. He'll say one character will tell a story or recall something in the past or whatever. And it's its own complete story. It has nothing to do with the rest of the book. It gives you a little bit of background maybe, but that's about it. And this one seven paragraph short story told by one of the characters is basically the story of about half of all science fiction written since then, but summed up better than any of those movies or books or TV shows ever could do it. And it's just the the story of this one planet called uh, Tralfamador. And I guess if I'll, I'll read it and if we don't like it, we could cut it from the show. How's that? That's that's we, one way to build up some tension. And we would cut it so that um, we would actually give you the, uh, uh, the story. Or yeah, the, the, I, have the build up. I have a link. Because <laughs> well, it's no, actually, yeah. We'll give you the build up saying we're going to read this story. And then all of a sudden it just cuts to nope. silence. It will go right to like, <laughs> that's it. Thanks. No, um, uh, it's actually short enough that it's actually, you can found, find it in, in quote sites. Oh, so cool. it's a short enough story that it actually falls as a quote from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but here it is. Once upon a time on Trafalmador, there were creatures who weren't anything like machines. They weren't dependable. They weren't efficient. They weren't predictable. They weren't durable. And these poor creatures were obsessed with the idea that everything that existed had to have a purpose and that some purposes were higher than others. These creatures spent most of their time trying to find out what their purpose was. And every time they found out what seemed to be a purpose of themselves, the purpose seemed so low that the creatures were filled with disgust and shame. And rather than serve such a low purpose, the creatures would make a machine to serve it. This left the creatures free to serve higher purposes. But whenever they found a higher purpose, the purpose still wasn't high enough. So machines were made to serve higher purposes too. And the machines did everything so expertly that they were finally given the job of finding out what the highest purpose of the creatures could be. The machines reported in all honesty that the creatures couldn't really be said to have any purpose at all. The creatures thereupon began slaying each other because they hated purposeless things above all else. And they discovered that they weren't even very good at slaying. So they turned that job over to the machines too. And the machines finished up the job in less time than it takes to say Tralfamador. <laughs> and that's pretty much apocalyptic science that's fiction. That's funny. Yes. I love wrapped it. up in seven paragraphs by Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> in 1959. And you would think after the seven paragraphs, it's like nothing left to say here. But, you know, science fiction authors have said, well, we could just retell that story thousands of times. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny because I've mentioned three weeks ago that I was reading uh, the Butlerian Jihad and um, uh, the follow-on, I forget the name of that story right now, or the name of that novel. It's the second mm-hmm. in a trilogy. It's basically the latter third of what you just read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like an archetype of a, I mean, it's like, you know, a skeleton of a story that is, and it's summed up so perfectly Yes, in a way that um, that it's like, oh, I get a complete picture. No more needs to be told. If you want your <laughs> run or write a science fiction book, just take that. Follow this template. some characters, <laughs> you know, names, things that they do, and just have that happen around them, uh, or be a, a, a be present at a portion of that story. 
and uh, and there you go. It's like so That's much, funny. so much of what I watch on TV now yes, is. Yes. I mean, basically, just watching West. You know, the season four of uh, Westworld right now. It's like, well, that's that too. You know, it's like everything. Which we so, haven't started yet, by the way. But yes, uh, cool. Yeah. So, well, no, but the whole thing. Not yes. I'm not saying season four is like that. I mean, the whole idea. Yes, and yeah, it's yeah. it's very. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, Kurt Vonnegut definitely. Uh, he was uh, he was something quite a oh. writer. Well, I'll vote. We keep that in the podcast. That actually okay. went, went really well. <laughs> my first, my first recital of something. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, you've got a future in audiobooks, man. Yeah. There you go. I could. Uh, <laughs> are you kidding? After seven paragraphs, I feel like I need to drink like, you know, a gallon of water and rest for half hour. So I don't. I don't think so. I can't. I can't get how those people, some some of whom we know, yes, um, yes, indeed, could actually read an entire book. Whew. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and sound the same over the course of multiple days. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll we'll squeeze out a few more words here. Um, <laughs> our blatant self promotion. Like I said before, we don't have any ads. This is the closest we get. What I like to point people at is a. It's got a long title. I can't see the top of a window, so I can't minimize, maximize, or close. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's askleo.com/slash one zero five eight five. This scenario unfortunately still happens. It used to be much more prevalent than it, than it is today, but it still happens either due to operating system bugs, uh, mishandled driver issues, or occasionally app problems. Um, and basically, you've got a window. It's open. You know it's yeah. open. It's just not visible on the screen. Uh, so you can't like mouse onto it and drag it somewhere or double click on it to maximize or anything like that. Anyway, it's keyboard interface to the rescue. And that's what this article covers. Askleo.com 10585. That happens. That doesn't happen as often as it used to on Max, but it still can happen, especially if you've got multiple screens, mm-hmm. you're switching desktops, you've mm-hmm. got some third-party apps that haven't taken certain things to account. It's possible to get it. Not as not as common as maybe 10 years ago. Though. Right. Yeah. Same um, here. Same here. Yeah. But the, the the keyboard sequence you used 10 years ago to get out of the out of the out of the problem is the same one you used today. Ah, cool. Uh it, I'm going to point to actually two videos because they're kind of a pair. I did a series on which desktop Mac should you buy today and which uh, MacBook should you buy today. Um, I divided it up into two videos because I think it's pretty obvious if you want a MacBook or if you want something that sits on the desktop. Like that's okay. like the first, you know, why in the decision tree. So I did them as separate videos, but I point them out here because they actually became pretty controversial. Um, in them, in both of them, I say basically you the two decisions you have to make once you decide on a machine: storage and memory. And uh, I warned that all too often I have people say, ah, I don't need the storage. I'll get more memory. And I argue that for, uh, in the case of Macs, for typical Mac users, storage should be the higher priority. If you could do both, great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but all too, uh, all too often I have people say, I'm going to go up on memory. They get more memory. It works great, but they could have done with less. Right. Or they could have gotten by with less. It wouldn't have been that horrible. But then they do with less storage and they run into problem after problem after problem. And just, you know, the Mac doesn't last as long because now the, the drive has been full and they they can't do things and it's a mess. Now, I got a lot of people hitting back against that, saying, no, you're wrong. No, I don't. I I get by just fine with hardly any hard drive space. And But I, I got the low memory Mac and it is, you know, I'm running to all of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but as yeah, a lot of, if you look at the comment sections, especially for the YouTube videos for those, uh, there's a lot of debate back and forth. Some comment threads go back and forth with me and whoever it is, uh, for quite a while. 
<laughs> I've so. had those decision trees on on um, PCs as well, and so much of it depends on exactly what you intend to do yeah. with your machine. Um, but yeah, I, I can certainly understand your, uh, your position and I, and just knowing the industry, uh, as soon as you take a position, somebody will disagree. Well, I think part, part of the problem too, uh, and I think this is true on windows is the way memory works today. Isn't like how it used to work years ago right. where an app launches and it says, I need this much memory, give it mm-hmm. to me. And then that's it. If you want to run that app, it's going to take that piece of memory. Um, it's e- not even the intermediate step where it says, I need a bunch of memory, give me some, and I'm always going to use a lot. Today, apps are given memory by the operating system, even if they can run just fine without it. Like, you know, a browser may may be, you know, oh, there's tons of memory, take four gigs. And the browser maybe works slightly more efficiently with all that memory. But Mm -hmm. If it didn't have that memory, it wouldn't use it. It just doesn't leave lots of leftover memory. So somebody is alarmed when they launch, say, two apps, and they mm-hmm. say, hey, one app's using four gig, the other app's using four gig. Boy, it's a good thing I don't need to run a third app. Right. Well, if you ran a third app, then they divide it up three ways. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, it's just not exactly. your computer is not going to say, hey, I'm just going to leave four gigs of memory sitting here doing absolutely nothing. You know, it just doesn't work that way anymore. And it makes it harder. And I had people in the comments thread too say, hey, when I run Chrome, it's using five gigs of RAM. It's like, well, it's probably using five gigs of RAM because you've got the RAM and you've got swap space on your drive. And uh, there are a lot of other factors. Well, you know, maybe that could be a whole topic for another episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, all right. Well, I think for this episode, we're pretty close to wrapping it up. Yes. I will point out that if I understand correctly, we are not going to be recording an episode next week. Or the week after. Or the week after. Okay. So it's another two weeks off. Great. Uh Well, the show notes for this week, um, which apparently are way more valuable then since they'll be the only thing, is uh, they'll be at tehpodcast.com slash teh167. If you've got a comment or a question, well, that's the place to leave it. Leave it on the show notes page. We absolutely get notified when those things show up. As always, thank you for listening, and we will see you here in something like three more weeks. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.